Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It's showtime, folks. Enjoy the show. And here we are, Steve. Hello, hello. And a very fine Saturday <laughs> afternoon matinee. That's right. No Irish uh, weekend. This it's too it's too late in the day for any <laughs> Irish to to pop out. You're only morning Irish. Okay. <laughs> Apparently so. Apparently so. All right. So how are you? 
I've, I've been good. I've been been busy while well, I was sick and then I was busy. And so now I'm, you know, it's the sort of the holiday break. So, you know, a little more relaxed. You know, I've been getting out and seeing a few things, not as much as I had hoped, but honestly, the the reviews on some things have made have given me pause for yeah. some films. Yeah. So, well, we did our my wife and I just had our our 17th anniversary. Congratulations. Thank You're you. officially a teenager. <laughs> We're almost our, our relationship. Our marriage is almost a voting age. There you go. Okay. <laughs> and a drinking age in, in the UK. So that's good to know. It's just, it's a time for us to uh, enjoy our time together. And what better way than in to just watch movie movies theaters? So you sit in the back row making out and not watching Schindler's List. You were making out during Schindler's List, Andy. That ended on a happy note, right? Yeah. I seem to remember. Yes. That. Sure. It was yeah. an uplifting. Yeah. There was a little girl in red. She was just fine. Yeah. Well, red. It's Christmas. It's happy. Yeah. I totally remember that. So you were you were making out in the back row during in, on the basis of sex because you thought it was a sexy well it sounded movie. like it was going to be a sexy movie <laughs> that's what we thought <clears throat> boy were we wrong <laughs> oh man no yeah it's it's our annual uh, time to just kind of uh, you know take a day off and just uh, enjoy each other and we're both big yeah. movie fans and so we just hit the movie theater and and watched all day. And it was fantastic. Wow. So ke- yeah. playing catch up on a lot of stuff. Although interestingly, I, we were debating afterward how many of these are going to be award nominees. And I, I think that we ended up seeing, I, I think a couple of them are probably going to end up getting recognized as kind of best picture nominees. But I feel like we ended up seeing a good number of things that are kind of uh, actor performance films, you know? Okay, sure. Um, and happily, um, a lot of, uh, female driven films we ended up looking I, at. I, yes. It looks like, yeah. The three, four, yeah out of the, the cluster you just posted, I would say what, four, out four of, of the five? five, I think were yeah. predominantly female driven. We saw if Beale street could talk, which was our favorite of the bunch by far, uh, just absolutely just amazing film. Uh, we saw vice, we saw, uh, the favorite we saw on the basis of sex and we saw Mary queen of Scots. Wow. Yeah. In, in one day. No, that's one fell swoop. Nope, no, one that day. was one day. Nope. Yep. That's five. That's you, would yeah. you get there at like 10 o'clock. Just stick yeah. the kids in front of the TV. Here's a box of. Well, Cheerios my, my mom was in town. And so uh, okay. she babysat. And uh, yeah, so we. Wow. We hit the uh, it's all at the art house theater. So we were there. Yeah. You know, the first show is at 950. And then we got out of the last one around uh, 1030 p.m. Oh my gosh, that's a marathon. That's back like when uh, the theaters used to do the best picture marathons. Yeah, five in a day. It's oh, that's exhausting. Yeah, uh, we only do it once a year. Okay, yeah. you know it's it's the only time we ever really uh, get to do that anymore, uh, unless we sneak off to a film festival, which we haven't done in forever. So, right. so it's okay. our chance to just kind of relax and just do that and and uh, uh, say you know forget everything else. We're going to go just enjoy ourselves. I well, I haven't gotten out to see quite as many. I did. I, I'm like at opposite ends of the spectrum with things because I w- we were looking for something fun, and based on some reviews, I thought I will go out in the theater and I will go see Bumblebee, and I will see how much fun this is because mm. it's sort of like the counter programming. I have not been a fan of the Michael Bay Transformer movies at all. I saw the first one and that was enough i um, really enjoy that one i'm total guilty pleasure i guess because a oh, lot of sure. people hate it I, but i have I, so I, much I, fun with the first one and i don't like the rest yeah i not that i hate it but i just thought well that was enough and i don't need more and uh bumblebee 
yeah, it's a completely different take on the Transformers franchise. It is very much in the vein of the 80s kids adventure thing, like an E.T. type thing of like some alien thing shows up with a troubled teenager and adventures and hijinks and military bad guys. And it was a lot of fun. It was more fun than I thought it was going to be. Uh, had a lot of heart. Uh, did everything that a movie like that should do. I I am wondering why December versus summer. It seems like a perfect movie for summer that kids would just be crowding theaters to see something like that. But uh, not quite up to par with Spider-Man. I, I still think Spider-Man is probably one of my favorite sort of family fun adventure films of the year. But Bumblebee is uh, is close. It's close. Definitely worth uh, checking out. And not too intense, not too scary. Uh, yeah, I highly recommend that one. And then uh, the other end of the spectrum, I had Vox Lux, which had one of the most ambitious beginnings ever. Hmm. And I thought, this is really impressing me. And the movie is broken up into, there's act one, act two. And I don't know if it's like a epilogue or what they call the, the third part at the end. But act one is really, really solid. And then act two starts and it just doesn't live up to everything that was set up in act one. And unfortunately, act two is when Natalie Portman shows up and it's it's not her, but it's it, at, right as soon as it finished, I thought, gosh, I wish Natalie Portman hadn't been in this movie because oh, everything wow. about the parts that she's in, it just doesn't pay off to the setup in act one and there's nothing Hmm. about her performance that's that's a problem it's just what she's given to work with and where the story is going just didn't fulfill what i was hoping so i'm starting to dig into reviews i'm looking at some interviews with the director to see if what if i can understand what he was trying to say that he didn't get across and if i can maybe understand what he was trying to say maybe i can sort of revisit that and say, did he really execute that well? Because I'm not sure what he was trying to say with this. Interesting. Interesting. So, uh, but definitely the first act was, if that had was like a short film, uh, oh my gosh, it's some of my favorite things this year. Wow. Really, really, really solid. Um, but afterwards it's, I, I think I give it three stars because it's, it's not a train wreck. It just doesn't, execute on some things so that was on our list of uh options but it just wasn't playing at the theater so um we skipped it but um i don't know after after hearing your thoughts i'm like "Eh, maybe i'll just rent that one i don't know yeah you could probably wait you could probably wait it was i saw it on a smaller theater so the the it's not like oh these big the big concert stuff is like something you need to see like on a big screen you're you're fine on the small screen yeah, with right. this one, uh, okay. and I would I would recommend waiting. And then um, did the Netflix thing and and caught a couple things. I caught the Bird Box, or oh Bird Box, right, right, or you know the, which now I guess Bird Boxing has become a trend on YouTube. Where well, I, don't, people, I don't know what it is. So well, you know the you I know the premise what, of the film. Okay, so Bird Boxing is people doing everyday ordinary things while blind blindfolded. Oh geez, okay, yes. <laughs> Well, that sounds like fun. That's like the, it's like the scene in uh, Intacto where they're uh, they're playing yes, that exactly. luck game, running through the right, trees, run through the forest. Yes, go bird box yourself in the forest, there, people. Oh, uh, 
Yeah. So that's, that's a thing. And I know that there's been some conversations in the discord channels here about the structure of the film, that it's jumps around in time, which is the way this, the novel is structured. And I probably about halfway through the novel and I enjoyed, I've enjoyed what I've read in the book. The movie just, I don't know why it just doesn't come together the way I hoped it would. It just struggles in some places and I don't know why, but I don't have the same reaction to it that I was hoping. Um, and I don't know if it's that I don't get invested in the characters or, or what's going on, but there's just some distance I have with this that made it not as enjoyable as I had hoped. Well, that's so, too bad to hear. Yeah. I'm curious about it, but I haven't been, um, uh, racing out to watch that one, but it's, no. it definitely is something that, that has piqued my curiosity. So, uh, you know, if I, if I find the time, I will try to at least squeeze it in to check it out. I will encourage you to check out, um, if you have the right device to enable this feature, uh, the new Netflix black mirror feature Bandersnatch. Oh, which I don't know if I've, you've heard about. I've heard about, um, mm -hmm. I don't know anything about it, but I've, I've heard people, I've heard some back and forth on, uh, online about people debating, well, is it a video game? Is it a movie? What are we calling this thing? <laughs> it's, uh, well, I tried watching it on my TV and that Netflix quickly told me, oh, we're sorry. You can't enjoy this the way it was designed. You'll have to try it on a different device. So then I loaded up Netflix on my Xbox was able to participate in the choose your own adventure style movie Bandersnatch, which will present you with decision points. So early on, there's a simple uh, decision where uh, our main character is sitting down for breakfast and has to choose a cereal and you get to choose which cereal he is going to eat. Um, and so does you watch it on your Xbox? Yeah, so, it's, so, it's so you have to watch it on like a, a video game device, like Xbox or PlayStation. I don't know. It, it may be you may be able to do it on your laptop. It was just my smart TV. The Netflix app on my smart TV clearly wasn't enabled to do this. So I'm sure there's a list out there of what devices, uh, like Roku, may you know allow you to do this, or Apple TV, or Amazon, you know, Fire Stick, or I I don't know. But I, all I know is that there's apparently some devices that this you know option to choose paths in the story will work in some where it won't so well i just, I just loaded it on my laptop and it seems to be working so okay yeah so okay. there you go so there's the answer so it's it it is it is uh, a truly unique experience and i think they did a very nice job with tackling this because the the main story is the story of this boy who is a software developer in the you know 80s and he his favorite book is this huge choose your own adventure novel called Bandersnatch and he's adapting it into a game so it is you've got a choose your own adventure movie about a character who is writing a game based on a choose your own adventure book so there's some things that happen with this ability to choose paths and destiny and fate and do we really have free will that are embedded into the story so i think that subject matter played really well into this format of allowing the the viewer to choose different paths for this story it's not a 
typical, oh, just boy meets girl romantic comedy and you get to choose things. There's some sort of meta narrative things that drill through into this that make this a really enjoyable experience. Nice. nice. Definitely worth checking out. I will put it on my list. Yes. Not for the kids, though. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. That's that's a shame. I'd love to see some things like that designed for kids because it seems like something that they would really take to. Oh, sure. Yeah. And I thought there was an article I was skimming over and I thought it said Netflix had done something similar with Puss in Boots a few years ago. But interesting. I don't recall that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I don't know if it was uh, Puss in Boots, if they had done not the movie, if they had done their own. Well, I know they've had little specials on Netflix. Specials. Yeah. Something like that. Yes. Yeah. So there we are. Excellent. That's, that's sort of where where I've been uh, living in the you know at home and and online and I a couple other things I've been catching up on that were disappointing that people saw my reviews of like Theory of Everything that was quite disappointing for me. Uh, so I'm I'm slowly catching up here and there with family on some things. We're good. Yeah. Well, should we do trailers? I know you're I very excited good. about mine. <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird time for trailers. To try to find things. It's, yeah. I was going back through what, what you guys had picked to make sure I wasn't, you know, doubling down on something that had already been picked. So I. Well, you picked a trailer that yeah. just came out. So I, I, th- right. I, I don't think it had even come out when we did our last uh, sat mat. So that, that's what I played it safe with you that did. one. And it was, I really struggled with picking this as a trailer because, you know, if it's movies that I know I want to see, I generally don't want to watch the trailer because i already committed to viewing it so i'll I'll try to go in blind but i i gave in and i said well is this a movie that there's going to be so much given away that it's going to impact my enjoyment of the film probably not i hope so i well all right and you gave in because you knew i would have picked it if you did (laughs) because i totally (laughs) was about to oh i'm like i'm totally picking that oh steve already picked it Damn. And I said, Andy's going to pick it. And then I said, well, you know, <laughs> at least it's in the mix. And if if the film board doesn't do this one, then I know Andy and I can always do this as a trailer rewind or even uh, Tommy, perhaps, because I, right. I don't think this is something that I would want to put JJ through. Uh, <laughs> Probably not. No, we, we don't want to do that. So, of uh, course, we're, so. we're talking about Jordan Peele's film that's coming out next March called Us which is a story of a family that uh, on their summer vacation goes to their beach house and some mysterious stranger show up and start stalking them. It sort of looks at first I thought, Oh, like the strangers, which was one of my favorite, you know, sort of self-contained horror films where you've got the three people that just sort of show up and, you know, break into this house where this couple staying and torment and torture them. But in this case, there is a unexpected twist because the, strangers that show up actually appear to be the family themselves but different versions of them right which to me opens up all kinds of things this is what i love with genre films like this when we're in science fiction can sort of probe into larger topics like well what is this saying about you know this this family on vacation and what are these other versions of themselves represent or what is our filmmaker trying to tell us about internal struggles with identity so many things that this could go down these paths of exploration that i feel that watching this trailer doesn't spoil anything for me just makes me very excited to see what you know jordan peele is doing as a filmmaker and there's a lot of creepy images in this that i am really looking forward to see in context of the larger film 
Plus, it's got a great cast. You know, Lupita Nyong'o and Winston Duke as the 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 parents of the family. I mean, they look great in the roles. Yes, uh, it's nice seeing Winston Duke pop up after. Uh, I mean, really, I think my only experience with him before has been in the Marvel films, in Black Panther and Infinity War, where he's Mbaku. Yes, and now seeing him pop up here with Lupita, um, I, I just I think that they look like a great couple, and it looks like they're heading up a really really creepy story you know just just seeing some of these these images i mean you know it's it's a really interesting take on a horror film where you are confronting a really frightening mutant version of yourself and it's like yes. you know it's not something i've seen before and that idea of of fighting something that's evil but it looks just like you is really kind of off-putting Oh, Only in Star Trek, children. what was it, Star Trek 6, where they, they had him fighting his own doppelganger. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and here it's not just the adults, it's the kids. And I'm thinking oh, right. about, oh, the creepy kids always freak me out. But then you've got, oh, yeah, there's so many strange things. Yeah, when the one, the little boy is looking at his other self and the other self pulls the mask off. And it's like the bottom half of his face is like all melted yeah. or deformed or something. Yes. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. No, I'm looking forward to this one. Yes, indeed. All right. Yes. Uh, so March 14th. And interestingly, on the trailer, it says, you know, tickets on sale now. Yeah, so, I saw that. That was interesting. Yeah. So they're really out there hyping this one up, uh, getting audiences in line to, to see this one. And I think Very given the success of uh, Get Out, that, uh, yeah, we can count on audiences showing up for this one. I would think so. Awesome. Right. Well, I am, of course, um, going to sequel to a film that came out uh, six years ago that everybody was talking about. And certainly this is a sequel that everybody is going to be talking about. And uh, they're going to start right now because the trailer came out. I am, of course, talking about the sequel to Iron Sky. This is <laughs> Iron Sky, The Coming Race, directed again by Timo Warrensola. And uh, this is, I don't even know what to say about this one. The first film, uh, Iron Sky, of course, that was about um, uh, Nazis. They set up a secret base on the dark side of the moon in 1945, and they hit out, planned to return to power in 2018. And this sequel uh, follows up on that. This is, um, uh, they've been uh, destroyed, but they left Earth destroyed. And so... The last people of Earth now have gone to live on the Nazi colony on the moon, only to find out that the Nazis aren't dead and they're after them again. And you got the crazy, it looks like the crazy Hitler on the dinosaur again. And uh, so they have to go back to Earth and uh, to the core because apparently Earth is hollow. Yes. To retrieve oh, yeah. some things so this girl can save her mother. I don't know. None of it makes sense to me. I don't know if that matters because this is the most nonsensical uh, story and I, and I still haven't seen the first one, but I really feel like I need to now because it's so insane. Just the concept is nutso. And I feel like these guys are just having a lot of fun with this. So I'd like to think that's the case. It does have Tom green in the, in the film. So I have to take that with a grain of salt because maybe it's going to suck now. Um, uh, <laughs> And but Udo Kier is in it, and he's always an interesting person yeah, to watch. The Udo, yes. And you know, the first one is at five point nine on IMDb, so it's <laughs> just right there at Pete's six star. I mean, just barely under. So you know yes. that it's it's not a complete train wreck. 
it's so one that you yeah you kind of take with a grain of salt and if you can take it with a grain of salt then yes. you're maybe going to push it a, to the 6.1 yes otherwise you're probably in the <laughs> lower than the four who knows yeah but the, the, everything about this looks like just a successfully executed version of some of these you know made for sci-fi channel ridiculous movies because it it doesn't take itself seriously. It embraces that fully. There, it's got cheesy jokes in it, but everybody is just playing it so straight. I, I have to love this, and it's it's made me think this might be a double feature. I just need to do some weekend <laughs> because the it clearly they they're embracing the ridiculousness, but they're they're they've got an action adventure story to tell and we've got spacecraft flying around. We're, you know, here we're, we're delving into the earth's core. So there's all kinds of, you know, weird things going on there. They're showing some creative imagination that I'm willing to, to, you know, give them some credit and, and take this on. So that may be something I do in, in 2019 is an iron sky double feature for the heck of it. Well, let me know what you think. Uh, okay. I may do well, the when same. Is this one, I may do when the is this same. one coming out? Um, as of now, it only has release dates in a few places. Finland, okay. January 16th. Norway, January 25th. And Germany, March 21st. Okay. Um, I don't know if... Uh, I, I have a feeling it will just be a digital release. A digital, it's not a yeah. theatrical uh, project. But uh, we shall see. We shall see. Okay. So there it is. Mm-hmm. Iron Sky, The Coming Race. <laughs> oh, yes. Good times. All right. Well, let's jump into our lists. All right. This was a this was a, a troubling one because um, uh, the the voters were being very indecisive and were not um, helping us. So it was a three way tie. I kind of threw it out. I said, "You guys better pick something, or it's host pick." And of course, they did. And, uh, and we ended up with broken marriage comedies. This is, of course, the line in winter. Uh, it's not really a comedy, but certainly broken marriages. And uh, uh, but you know, Pete and I didn't want to deal with heavy films. It's a gift. It's a, ho- a holiday gift. So here we are, broken marriage comedies. To me, they gave us an easy one because there were a couple that came up right off the top of my head, and then I started thinking about it. And I thought, you know, there's if I'd start really delving in, it seems like there's a lot of movies from like the forties, some of these screwball comedies in the thirties and forties. And I'm like, well, I don't know if there was divorce involved or not, or because there was a lot that I thought this might be something. So I started digging in and, and I thought, Oh, I'm, I'm going down a rabbit hole. I, I, I don't need to spend that much time. I'm just going to go with what, what came to mind. And Andy and I may have to battle it out on some of these. So we will see. Uh, so I'm going to start with, uh, I think, probably the one that, uh, this, this is one that first came to mind when I think of divorce and I think of comedies and I think of dark comedies. And I, I saw this in the theater. I have not seen it since. It's one where I don't know if I should even rewatch it or just let the memory of it exist out there. And that is War of the Roses. Uh, did you ever? Oh you yes, ever a chance to see that. Oh one? yes, okay. I watched yes. that many times when I was young. <laughs> when you were young? Well, when it came out, it was one of. It, okay, it, yeah, <laughs> okay. Because I was like, it doesn't seem like a kids movie. Well, uh, when okay. did it? What year did it come out? It, it was in '89. So okay, so I was a, I was 16. Okay, so yes, but uh, yeah, this was a. Director Danny DeVito with, you know, reuniting Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner that everybody fell in love with, uh, you know, romancing the stone. And yeah, this was just a, 
a marriage that fell apart and then it got it got brutally physical and i think that was where a lot of the comedy for me came out of it's something that, again it's it's a 6.8 out of 10 so i probably should uh you know find some time to check it out again see how well this this holds up you know nearly 30 years later but that was the first one that came to mind for me war of the roses it was the first one that came to mind to me too so i'm not gonna use it but it's it was a film that i really really enjoyed when i was young and i think a lot of it was because uh michael douglas and kathleen turner had such great chemistry i loved them from romancing the stone and uh they did the sequel and they did this and i think it was just those three films but yeah i just loved their chemistry and it was just kind of a great continuation of that in a really dark dark yes. film um but a funny one and i i definitely had a good time with it so cool all right well for my first choice I am uh, jumping back in time a little bit to uh, a wonderful, wonderful Preston Sturges film from 1943, I would say, 42, 43, called The Palm Beach Story. It's uh, uh, kind of that screwball comedy, uh, just like you were talking about, um, mm-hmm. that it, it's actually, uh, I think, just a brilliantly constructed film because it starts with this, um, you know, this this crazy little montage that is the marriage. And then you get the film, which is kind of like the aftermath and they're having financial tr- troubles and all these issues. And it turns into this thing where, um, the wife, uh, I think she, I think the plan is to divorce her husband and marry a rich man, uh, a, kind of this wealthy guy who can help her husband out. And it, it just, you know screwball comedy antics ensue it's uh, you know the 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 weenie king is involved it's, it's just a really funny movie it was one of uh it's i think it's probably um the most uh the the last uh pre- the the last new to me preston sturges that i watched um and i just instantly fell in love with it just had such a great time so um that's my first one the, the palm beach story okay i'm gonna have to add that to my list because that is exactly in that era that i'm talking about and uh, i right. love preston sturges so yeah definitely one that i will have to add to my to my list let uh, me know what you think because it's funny yeah so to me the obvious if you're in that era and i, I guess as we say broken marriage how we're defining that um but to me one of the classics that sort of falls into this category is the philadelphia story yeah, because we have that. So that's that's my second pick. Because you guys haven't talked about that on the show. We have, we have. You have? Yeah, it was a, it was a. Uh, uh, see, that was one of our. Yeah, it was one of our um, uh, speakeasies um, with oh, Steve Miner. It's, see, it's a speakeasy because I went to the main list. I'm like, oh no, they haven't done a series on this one, and so I was I put it in my list because I did not check. Yeah, that's okay. with the speakeasies, but yeah. So to me, this is. Um, Easy one uh, to add to that list of sort of in that era. So that's my second pick, Philadelphia Story. Uh, it's, it's a great movie. I love it. And uh, it's, it's one that's well worth watching and always worth bringing up again. For my second one, I am looking at a much more um, recent film. It is a film uh, that came out uh, in 2011, um, directed by Glenn Ficarra and John Requa, uh, written by Dan Fogelman. It is a hilarious film. It's one that I just absolutely love. It's got Steve Carell, Ryan Gosling, Julianne Moore, Emma Stone, Marissa Tomei, and Kevin Bacon. It is crazy, stupid love. Um, you've got Steve Carell as the recently divorced man who is 
<laughs> trying to learn how to uh, kind of be a man and uh, connect with women again uh, with the help of Ryan Gosling and some of the funniest scenes ever. Uh, I absolutely love this film. It just worked for me on every level. Um, wonderful, wonderful uh, f- comedy, um, great um, chemistry. I, this was kind of that Ryan Gosling, Emma Stone uh, foundation that they that they started uh, in some of their other films. Uh, they're just a great couple on screen. And uh, yeah, I just love it. Crazy Stupid Love. That's my next one. That that one almost made it onto my list, but then I think I've used that on two other lists because I think I used that for my shop, mall shopping montage or something like that <laughs> oh, okay. uh, a little while ago. But no, that, I'm glad you included it because it is one that if people I, if people haven't seen it and it's showing up on our list multiple times, I take that as a strong recommendation. You you need to go out and check this movie out. And yeah, this is one I have not seen in a while, but yeah, love love this great great cast and a tremendously fun story. Indeed, indeed. Okay. So I'm going, I'm staying sort of, when I think wacky screwball from the 30s, there is a, um, there are some filmmakers that are still carrying on that tra- tradition uh, today and doing it really well. And for me, that is the Coen brothers. And they pulled off in 2003, one of my favorite sort of screwball romantic comedies with intolerable cruelty starring uh, George Clooney, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Billy Bob Thornton. And this is just for, for me, it's again, one of these quotable, quotable Cohen films that gets mentioned in our house all the time, quoted all the time. And this is uh, the story of, you know, Miles Massey, uh, George Clooney and his, uh, adventures in love so to speak uh, <laughs> moving from one end of the spectrum uh to the other as a as a divorce lawyer and uh this for me is my number one when i think of uh breaking up marriages and comedies this is the first thing that comes uh well i guess my favorite film that comes to mind here that's funny uh, that's one that uh, maybe i should check that one out again because i remember i was like i watched it i'm like God, it was just it was kind of like the, almost like the dark comedy was like weirdly like too dark yeah. I'm like this is really <laughs> a little much but it did have some funny bits and and there are a few points that i always um remember from that one and uh yeah so maybe i should go back and check that one out again i bet i'd enjoy it i have found with some of their films the first viewing is really challenging because you're trying to figure out what type of film this is and then the second time you have a, a stronger sense of that. Cause yeah, the first time I thought, Oh, there's, there's some parts where I felt the story just sort of slowed down and started to lag. And I thought, eh, but then the second and third time watching, I'm like, Oh no, I just, I love this movie. At even I love it more every single time I watch it. So I, yeah, I would definitely suggest this one. Uh, there's, there's some great moments and there is a, there's a character in here uh who's a hitman named wheezy joe who's like an asthmatic hitman that accidentally ends up shooting himself instead of using his asthma inhaler and <laughs> that's right that's yeah so that's wheezy joe so in um the ballad of buster scruggs there's another character that ends up shooting himself in the face named joe and i'm like oh is this a whole like is he the ancestor to to wheezy joe are they doing doing something like that i don't know but it just felt like something they might do is to have some bizarre like tarantino lineage connecting characters across films but as soon as i as i was watching buster scruggs and i was like oh my gosh is this guy an ancestor to wheezy joe um 
because he's like, well, it's Curly, it's, it's Curly Joe, and he ends up, who's played by Clancy Brown, and he ends up shooting himself. And I'm like, if you have a character named Curly Joe, and another film has Wheezy Joe, I, I wonder. The lineage. So, Interesting. The lineage, yes. Of those that are unfortunate to, to die by shooting themselves in the face. <laughs> On accident. Uh, yeah, yes. uh, that's something in a Cohen movie you yes. may laugh at, but usually you're not laughing about that. <laughs> well, for my final pick, I am, of course, uh, jumping into the uh, the Tom Hanks trough, as I so often do, because because uh, I love his films so much. And this is a film I watched way too often when I was a kid. Just absolutely love it. I think it's one of his funniest films still. Um, it just, it's endlessly uh comedic it is the richard benjamin film from 1986 the money pit it's about a <laughs> a a couple who buy a ridiculously um uh insanely uh huge mansion for a ridiculously low price only to find that it's falling apart in all the most uh, ridiculous ways and as the house starts falling apart their relationship starts falling apart and it just kind of goes that way until the end. But, you know, their foundation is solid, as the, uh, as the home repairman tells him at the end. And uh, they, they, uh, they do find a way to get uh, back together and repair the relationship in the end, just as they do the house. Wonderful movie. I just laugh every time I watch it, uh, The Money Pit. And uh, I will never, ever uh, not think about uh, Tom Hanks stuck in the hole in the floor behind the couch. One of the funniest scenes he's ever done in his entire career. If you want to talk about the Mighty Pit, and there's so many great moments there, but it's been a long time since I've seen it. But one of the things that sticks with me is, and it's surprising to realize what a legacy Meryl Streep has. Because even back in 1986, you mean she's Shelley a joke Long? in the no no Meryl, oh, Meryl Streep. Streep. Okay, right. Oh, she's a joke the, in the film, right? She's a joke in the film because it's the it's the 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 guys that are whatever cross dressing singers and they want to name their band Meryl Streep. <laughs> which <laughs> you think she's gonna have a problem with that? <laughs> and I think you know that she was such a figure at that point that right. she that they would use her as a punchline in a joke like that. Um, just sort of speaks to you know the strength of her career even back then. Uh, what a figure she was, but it's just one of those things where I think you know sometimes there's jokes that you make at a certain in a certain time frame, and then 15 years later it it falls flat because the reference is lost. But it's so refre- it's it's just I find it really humorous that the Meryl Streep joke from 1986 will still play. It I will think, live on. Yes, yes, indeed, exactly. <laughs> so true. So true. Well, anyway, that's a wonderful set of films uh, for yes. us uh, to have uh, out there for our listeners. So check out some of those. And those are our broken marriage comedies. Well, we are talking about Oliver! Uh, exclamation point. So it's really Oliver! Oliver! As our next, uh, as our next film on uh, the 1968 Best Picture nominees list. This is, of course, the winner from 1968. So, uh, so what should we do for our list this week? Oh, we've got, with we just, orphans? I feel like we were just doing a lot of musicals. Did, you just do, did we do an orphan thing? I don't, I don't think we have done orphans. We could do uh, orphans, films with orphans. Right. Cause that's, yeah, a thing. It, I'm sure, I'm sure it is. I'm sure there are more orphan <laughs> films than I can think of right now. <laughs> um, let's see. And then we've got, we've got uh, pickpockets. Pickpockets. Yeah. I don't know how got, you got like crime. 
you've got like i don't know gangs you know they're sort of a gang uh, streets you know, like street gangs street gangs yeah. okay do they have to or, be kids no they don't have to be kids I, okay I guess. okay i mean technically um, you've got uh fagan as one of them yeah. so i mean he's so therefore you have adults in the gang so that's fine uh yeah you could have is is there an are there enough films where it's like a poor person or a person who's down on luck in society who is taken in to the good life or who finds themselves living the good life i think there's i think there's enough that's there's a few i can think of off the top of my head yeah that's i mean anybody sort of the rags to riches yeah we'll do rags to riches yeah type of thing yeah yeah perfect so we've got orphans street gangs and rags to riches there we go. I think that's a good option. A good set of options. We'll see where people land with it. There we go. Yes. Fantastic. Well, Steve, it's been wonderful chatting with you uh, this yeah. uh, wonderful, I guess it's Saturday midday now. So Saturday midday. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Well, have a good rest of your day. And uh, yeah. and I guess, geez, happy new year. We'll be chatting with you on the other side of uh, yes, the other we'll side of the new year. 2019 that's right indeed, indeed. all right well and tell our listeners a happy happy new year wherever you are and however you're enjoying it with friends or family and, and watching films absolutely and all of our patreon supporters uh we really appreciate you thank you so much for uh for kind of being there and and uh helping us get this stuff out there we uh we really appreciate you and uh, here is to a wonderful 2019 see you everybody hondo <laughs>
in the background um, of the Marvel logo, which is not how they've always done it, but uh, it's nice to see here. It's in its purest form. And this was not the first time we'd seen the Flipbook logo. The Flipbook logo, uh, you know, its its first appearance for us was in Spider-Man um, back in, when was that? Two, uh, 2002. 2002. 2002. So it's not as if we hadn't been living with this, but I, I guess my sense is, you know, looking at the, at this, the flipbook logo here, uh, it felt like a title of ownership. Whereas the uh, the flipbook logo for Spider Man, knowing that it was coming from, you know, uh, Columbia and Sony, it just felt like a borrowed title. Uh, and this this just felt more resonant to me. Well, and that's funny because I mean. Technically, it was kind of the same thing. It was, you know, Marvel had been trying to find a home, I guess you could say, the right place to make their films. And obviously, as as we know, they had uh, sold a number of their their titles to Sony, uh, like Spider-Man and, right. and those franchises. And, and I shouldn't say sold. They've licensed them over to them. Universal has Hulk, which they've had for ages. And um, and they've been trying different studios, trying to set up deals with them uh, before they came to Paramount back in uh, the early aughts. I think around 2004, they were with New Line working with Nick Cassavetes, trying to get this film off the ground, um, a different version of the script entirely. And it never quite came to pass and it fell uh, out of New Line's hands. And then they ended up coming to Paramount and as we are going to discuss over the course of this whole series, Marvel is going to be, um, you know, this is not quite their home yet. It's nice seeing them with the Paramount logo, but the, but they have not quite found their uh, permanent home. You know, I and that's that's fair. I have a feeling much of this contra- this conversation is going to uh, be weighted with the gift of hindsight. Uh, you know that now we know how far we've come, uh, and, and so this feels you know much more resonant in my memory than it probably was. Uh, and yet, it still is is different. It's a different tone. Can you even imagine what this movie would have been like in the hands of Nick Cassavetes and New Line? Can you even begin to? It might as well have been, um, you know, a 2018 A24 movie. <laughs> right. Yeah. Nick Cassavetes seems, uh, you know, he seemed like a, just a strange choice to to hear, uh, you know, as as was it. Okay. Here's the thing. Would it have been any stranger in Nick Cassavetes' hands than than Spider Man in Sam Raimi's? Well, yes, it would have been because I I don't think he had ever <laughs> directed anything like this. I mean, the film that he had directed um, immediately before when he was working on this was The Notebook, <laughs> and that's you know okay completely completely different. I mean, he had done Unhook the Stars, She's So Lovely, John Q, and The Notebook, um, and then after it fell uh, out of his hands, then he did Alpha Dog, My Sister's Keeper, Yellow. And the other woman and he's got some and that was 2014 he's got projects that he's developing and in pre-production but he hasn't actually done anything since um as far as a director i mean he's acted plenty he's been uh, also acting quite a bit but i just don't see him as uh the guy who was going to be meant to helm this film and so i think in the end it probably worked in marvel's favor that that didn't happen because i i kind of don't think he would have been the guy to bring the mcu into the place that it is now we would probably be on our third reboot of the iron man franchise (laughs) exactly by now (laughs) yes right and people going god it's just like fantastic four 
They just can't get right. these right. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> That's where we would have been. Uh, but this film felt different. After we get through the uh, the the flip book, the Iron Man centric uh, flip book, uh, getting our our little visual tour, uh, our trip through down memory lane. Uh, that that brings us up into a, a, a very different sense of place than we might expect. A op- wide open landscape shot uh, with the convoy in the distance, uh, kicking up dust, driving through uh, what is uh, looks uh, uh, to be a high arid desert, an ominous and uh, empty land. It is. It's very uh, empty with snowy peaks in the distance. And I have stared at this image, I can't tell you how often, trying to figure out if those snowy peaks are CG'd in there or if they are real snowy peaks. I I kind of doubt they're snowy because it's filmed in California, in in, uh, Lone Pine, uh, California. Um, But they do have the Alabama Hills there, and a lot of films have filmed there. And looking at pictures, it looks like it could be mountainous. I just don't know if it ever would be snowy. Uh, you know, and that was the that was the question I had as I looked at this. Right. They are calling it Kunar Province, Afghanistan, uh, which is uh, for those who were uninitiated in Iron Man lore, that might not be where you would expect to open a movie like this. Yeah, not exactly. Uh, the film actually or the story in the comics, um, I guess, jumping back, you know, the, the Iron Man's first appearance was in Tales of Suspense number 39, which came out March 10th, 1963. And in that, uh, that comic, he is working with the military and he is developing stuff for them in South Vietnam in the jungle. Um, and nearby the, uh, the, the villagers are being menaced by Wong Chu, the red gorilla tyrant. And that is the person who ends up, uh, capturing Tony, um, in the comics. But here we are taking liberties with the story and making a little more current and putting him in Afghanistan. I think it works. Oh, it certainly works for me. It works to modernize the the uh, story. It works to put us in a place that we can. I mean, we have been seeing images like this on television uh, for more than a decade at this point and uh, getting a sense of, of what, you know, the military looks like and feels like. And this felt right at home. Yeah, it really did. It just feels like stuff you're seeing on the news. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It works in that context. We should jump back just briefly and and talk about John Favreau because one credit we didn't mention that we do see on screen is in association with Fairview Entertainment, which is John Favreau's company, and that's uh, the company that, uh, as a production company, when he's making projects, the films that he's directing and producing end up with that credit. And so, like his TV show Dinner for Five had that, Iron Man, Iron Man Two, Cowboys and Aliens, The Jungle Book, and then the two projects that he's developing right now, The Lion King and Jungle Book 2. Is John Favreau the guy you would have expected behind the camera on this one? The film that he did preceding this was that uh, the adaptation of the kids' book, uh, Zathura. Right. And I guess that might have been the thing that that gave him the the leg up. It seemed like an odd choice to pick him. And I, I remember hearing him and going, oh, really? He did... I mean, I, I knew him from back when he was acting and I saw, uh, well, I guess as a writer, actor, writer way back when he did swingers in the mid nineties. Um, and then directing, you know, I had seen elf, which I love. I had seen made, which I hated. Um, and then I knew he directed Zathura, but I, it just was kind of past the point in life where I was going to go watch that movie. So I missed it, but 
it looked like, you know, he handled it capably. And my recollection was it got reviews that were fair. And so I was like, oh, it seems like an odd choice, but it seemed like a safe choice, I guess. Well, safe in the spirit of making budget, you know, made was budgeted, uh, you know, and I'm getting this from Wikipedia and I'm, I don't have the other budget in front of me, but, you know, made is uh, come says it was budgeted five million gross. 5 million. Uh, Zathura budgeted 65 million, gross 64 million. Now, Elf before that, uh, back in 2003, was budgeted 33 million and came in at 220. Uh, so, obviously, a significant performer at the box office and has become a cultural staple. So, if, if anything, you know, to have this guy know the humor uh, and land the humor is uh, it, it's a significant contribution. And obviously, that, you know, ended up being a, a significant contribution to Iron Man and the character of Iron Man and the sort of what the, the tone of the films that, that would come. Uh, but it. It felt like a strange pick to me insofar as we've gotten strange picks since. Uh, but boy, it, it worked out. Yeah, I, I think that uh, that he really does a great job here. And I think right away we get a great nod that, at least for me, I felt like I was in good hands because I, I thought it was just so clever that we see this convoy it, off in the distance. We hear the wind whispering away and then it cuts to uh, a great long lens shot of these humvees uh coming right at us down the road i i will say i i felt like i was in very good hands though because i thought it was very clever you know we have the the black sabbath song uh iron man with the i am iron man and it's 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 that great kind of heavy metal song that just there's something about it that feels right for a, a guy walking around in a suit of armor but instead of using that song, we kick in with ACDC's Back in Black, which I it's it's a totally different song, but it still had that great kind of just that heavy metal vibe that I thought worked so well to really get things started here. Well, and that's really it. I mean, just saying the words heavy metal now feels so associated with Iron Man, uh, <laughs> you know, the weight of the suit, the size of the mechanics that are working and that we open on this fighting force crossing across, uh, you know, the desert with their guns at the ready and the big Humvees. It just feels so, uh, you know, foundational, so heavy and, and uh, um, you know, gives us a, a real sense of, uh, you know, feels like we're listening to it in the car or in the trucks with them. Yeah, which uh, we will find out soon enough that they just might be. Right. I, I don't know. I'm not allowed to talk about minutes that we haven't I know. seen yet. We're, we're, we're only in this minute. Yeah. We're You're already breaking your own uh, rule. I know I am. But we Please are don't cut the, this. That's important uh, that we know you made that rule. <laughs> that I, we made the rules. First, first episode of the show. I'm already breaking my rules. So like me. It is so like me. It's Well, you know. We live in our own little character suits. As you mentioned, we are in the Kunar province of Afghanistan, which uh, is up in the northeastern part of the country. Capital is Asadabad, and uh, it's uh, it is way up there. Uh, so if you look at the map, it's it is like right on the border. It, it's on uh, the border of Afghanistan and Pakistan, right? Uh, pa it's that's that's where we are, and we're outside of uh, looks like. I, I want to say striking distance. That doesn't seem like a, an appropriate term for a guy like me to use of Kabul, uh, which is, you know, obviously the center of a great deal of conflict. So we're we're setting ourselves up for, um, you know, for knowing exactly the what we might be doing there in this first minute. And uh, that leads us to 
uh, a bit of a context shock in the minutes to come. It's it's going to be an interesting exploration here, uh, putting it in real world context of Middle East wars and crises paired with the comic book version of stuff that had been happening in Iron Man. Because as we know, in the comic book, it was kind of put into a real situation, you know, Vietnam. Um, obviously, there was there was a lot of co- talk of commies and all this sort of stuff. But it'll be interesting to see as the film progresses, uh, you know, is there who are they going to tie into this? And so it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out over over the rest of the uh, the minutes. Well, and look at how expert that is, right? These choices, these screenplay choices, the the or screenwriting choices, to actually open with something that is uh, resonant and newsworthy, right? A place that is so clear to us to give us an entree to a universe, right? This Marvel cinematic soon to be universe uh, of superheroes, and grounded in something that we can we can all rationalize we can normalize into our well-being that yes uh, into our worldview that yes uh these things exist if this exists then surely guys like tony stark exist and if tony stark exists then surely that some of the technology that fuels him exists and if that technology exists then surely uh this suit has to exist right and the 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 equation right the logical math that they have presented to us it checks out and allows us to buy in emotionally, and I think that is the strength of this movie, and that is the thing that gets us into it, allows us to buy into the entire universe to come and make some very uh, grounded assumptions and assertions about every film that, you know, in this universe. And it all starts right here in this first minute, and I think that is genius. Marvel has always been good about uh, finding the ground to develop their stories with um i know it's something that dc has struggled with a little bit more uh but i think marvel a lot of people say this where marvel's characters are are people first and superheroes uh that's kind of something that they turn into and in the dc universe it seems like they're superheroes first and then they have to adopt this human facade and it it makes it more of a challenge to connect with them and i i think that uh, what's interesting about Marvel is they've found a great way to do it in their films as well. And, and even the films that we've seen before this that aren't necessarily connected directly to the MCU, um, I, I think they still manage to do that for the most part in their stories. Uh, I mean, certainly some of them struggle more than others, but I, I think that they have found a good way to do it. And I think it's really strong here. And I think that the way that they decided to put this together with Kevin Feige and and John Favreau and the the writing team they've they've found a good foundation and what's so interesting to me is that Iron Man was never one of the the big characters i mean he's always been kind of a big character in the comic books he's you know he was one of the members of the avengers and uh, i mean all the stuff that that we have seen it's really because of him in the in the comics but spider-man was always kind of like their number one character and the hulk was always big and what's interesting you know at the time in the late 90s early 2000s when they were talking about developing this as a film they were really nervous about getting people interested in in iron man and even knowing who he was especially young kids who didn't really the character was just not uh, a, a one of the popular ones anymore and so I find what interest what's interesting is that Marvel actually hired Tim Miller, who we know uh, later for directing Deadpool, uh, to do these what they called advertorials, 
which were these little um, short CG films that, or, or mini films, like short films that uh, that he put together with with Marvel to kind of help people uh, get a sense of who Iron Man was. And uh, it's it's really the, these advertorials. I mean, you can watch them on YouTube. We'll have to put the links up. They did these three animated shorts with this a simple story to introduce Iron Man to younger viewers. And they had to use uh, Spider-Man and Hulk, at, who are the two most recognizable characters, as bait to get people to watch this. And as Tim Miller said, the marching orders were to, one, clearly demonstrate that there was a man inside the armor, because a lot of people seem to think that it was just a robot. Number two, show off his wide range of cool powers. And number three, position him clearly as a hero on the same level as Spidey and Hulk, and having those characters show how cool they perceive him to be and valued him as a peer. Right. And, and they're amazing. Uh, you know, when you look at them, you want to see more of these stories. And they give you, uh, you know, what Miller did here is they give you all of those. Uh, they make good on all of those promises, right? Showing the man in the suit. They show the complicated machinery that Tony had to build to piece the suit together on his body. Uh, and I, I think they're just they're really terrific. They they really set the stage. What I think is fun is that um, they they turned out so well and they were really popular that they're like, hey, we should do the same thing for Thor because, you know, we're going to be making a movie with him soon. But yeah. they realized that that making him was actually really more of a challenge than they they planned. And uh, they they really couldn't get them distributed as good as they wanted to. And just didn't end up putting the money into it. So, but I, I think by the time they got this out there, people started feeling like they could trust what was going on. And even if they couldn't see this, the scope of this entire universe, um, that we have the, the luxury of having been through so far, um, I, I think that it, it allowed people to start trusting them and to start buying in as things developed yeah you know back to the minute they, I, just in in terms of of building us a gateway movie a gateway property to get us into the this universe of superheroes that has you know come to thrive you've got to earn your aliens dc struggles with that because their central character is an alien already you've got to earn your wizards you've got to earn uh you know you've got to earn your uh um your monsters and things and this this movie gives us uh it, it shows us what uh you know human monsters are and it gives us the we can relate to that and uh you know it all starts with uh with this minute right here now pete what is your history with marvel and the comics and the movies and iron man so with the comics you know i read some of the comics when i was a kid i never really uh you know i was never one of those kids who you know drank all of the comics in all of the marvel comics in. i made the wrong choice <laughs> when i was a kid and i decided that it wasn't going to be avengers superheroes it was going to be transformers right and the, you know it i regret that a little bit because i feel like it's it's taken me more study to get up to speed on what these characters are and what their backstories are uh, as these movies have come out since then uh, i have read quite a few of them and i've tried to get uh, back into the uh, uh, back into the fold so to speak and so the last 10 years i've i've read quite a bit uh, but i have to say i have not read as many as you have 
I am so impressed by what you have done over the last, what, 60 days? Have you read all of the Marvel uh, comics? <laughs> I've read all of the them? entire library. Everything they've done every, you know, every in the last comic. 60 years. One year a day. Right. That's what I've done. No, I, um, well, it's funny because growing up, I was definitely a comic book reader, but I was the, the sort of kid who really loved the, uh, the, the more juvenile sort of stuff. Like I, I really enjoyed the Transformers. I had, I think I collected probably the first three years of those comics. Um, uh, but, uh, I bought comics like, uh, you know, I, I would see things like Wolverine and Iron Man and the Avengers on the shelves, but I would normally not gravitate to them because, uh, you know, they just seemed like, you know, much more adult than my little brain was looking for at the time. <laughs> and so I was, I was going to things like droids and top dog and <laughs> captain carrot and much sillier <laughs> comics and carrot um, yeah that's I, I, why you're still a, a big captain uh, underpants reader today oh hey absolutely no i have a very wide variety of of strange comic choices um that i that i've been saving all these years and i think part of it is i liked feeling like i got a sense of the whole story like transformers i really enjoyed because i was able to pick up issue number one and start that journey with them um, I would get four issue limited series. Like I got the Nightcrawler four issue limited series. I got, uh, weirdly enough, before anybody knew who he was, I got the Rocket Raccoon four issue limited series. <laughs> um, you know, I, I picked up, you know, a lot of those because it was my opportunity to just get a whole story and get a sense of, of what was happening within that world. And I think sometimes I would pick up a comic, like I have a random, uh, uncanny X-Men comic and, um, like, I have no idea what's happening in, this, in the comic because it's like mid story. I don't know who these characters are. It, it always drops the little, you know, uh, you know, when something happens that it, it does the little asterisk underneath and it says, check You'll out remember that. for this. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I'm like, I don't know where I can even find this information because I mean, this is way pre-internet or anything. And there's well, no and way then to you track feel this stuff terrible because you realize you're not a true believer. It's, that's you know, exactly what it was. Uh, that's exactly what it was. But I, I still loved reading comics. And so I, I bought a bunch, but again, they were very random. Um, and so I, and Spider-Man was the one that I, I really collected. Uh, true to Marvel's word, uh, you know, Spidey was the one who was in my life. Um, but Iron Man never was. I think I got the, the first couple issues of the West Coast Avengers when that started and he popped up in that and I'm sure he was in some of my Spider-Man comics but otherwise I had no familiarity with the character I just mm -hmm. knew he was out there and not a lot of interest but as you said um, because of these movies I, I've really fluctuated with my enjoyment of the MCU but I find that uh, as I kind of continue rewatching them I actually find my enjoyment of them growing rather than diminishing which isn't always the case in movies I really find myself connecting with it more and more and so yeah knowing that we were going to do this I did start reading Iron Man comics and I have plowed through a ton of them I've read you know the first uh you know I don't know how many years of the tales of suspense and then uh, when I think it it went up to 99 and then started with uh, the Invincible Iron Man and number 100 uh, was was basically when he got his own title. And I read a number of those and I, I've been reading a lot of the stories trying to get a sense of of uh, what I needed as a grounding for this show. Like I read all the stuff with Obadiah Stane, which mm -hmm. was a good 
uh, man, that was a hefty chunk of time that that ran because I think it was like 40 issues or something like that, uh, maybe 30. Um, and that's all the time when Tony was an alcoholic and he was living on the streets and Rhodey was actually the one who was in Iron Man for, you know, probably years of an, in comic book time as far as the monthly issues. So, uh, yeah, I've been really digging in and just I've really been enjoying it. And uh, I, I've been kind of rekindling my love of comics and these movies uh, through all of it. I think that's fantastic. And I, um, you know, I've not read oh, nearly uh, maybe a fraction of what you've um, of what you've read. And uh, so I'm really excited for you to continue to sort of teach, particularly where these things part, uh, where the, the properties part ways. Um, so I, you know, I think this is uh, super exciting. The movies have been a great gateway for me to get back into the comics as appropriate. And I, I try to read the stuff that the actors would have read to prepare them for each story. Uh, and uh, so that, that gives me a little bit more background to talk about. We obviously have talked about uh, some of these things uh, on our uh, our uh, uh, the main next real show. Uh, and so that has been another interesting gateway for me to get back into these from the perspective of the movies. But this is going to be a whole new gig, this movie by minute thing. It is. It's going to be a fun journey, uh, just digging into the, the minutia and the details of uh, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So that is it for today's show, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to the show for free over at marvelmovieminute.com. Join us over on our Discord chat room and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Next Reel. And if you like what we do and want to support us and get some cool stuff, become a patron over at patreon.com slash the next reel. Well, that's it. Thanks, everybody. I love the conversations that so many of our hosts have had on their shows. Steve and JJ on Trailer Rewind, Ray and Ocean on Silver Linings, even Tommy's short-lived No, No, Wait, Hear Me Out. And so many films they've discussed started out as a book, a play, or even a TV series. Well, now you can support our whole family of podcasts by using our new Originals page to buy the original source material used to inspire films covered on our shows. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these fantastic conversations. It's a wonderful way to support the show. Producing these podcasts week after week require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, try using our originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. It's your one-stop shop for Amazon and Apple links where you can buy the book, play, video game, movie, etc. upon which the movie is based. Original material for trailer rewind movies like If Beale Street Could Talk, The Goldfinch, Aniara, or The Two Faces of January, or Silver Linings movies like Repo Men, which was based on the repossession Mambo. Plus, by using those links to buy books, Amazon and Apple show us a little bit of love, which allows you to support our family of shows with minimal effort. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals. It's a fantastic way to support the show and find a great book to read. That's right. Head over to thenextreel.com slash originals to find your next read and get started today. Mm-hmm.